You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, Tennis.com podcast. I promise we'll be back. We have with us today Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner. I am Ed McGrogan here to talk about some of the topics of, uh, of late September, heading into the fall season. Uh, we're going to hit on the, the, the Asian tour or what's become of that. Also talk about Serena Williams turning 30 now, joining Roger Federer up there in that uh, not-so-rarefied air. And we'll talk about the the labor possibly unrest in the tours. You know, is anything really going to happen with that after the U.S. Open sort of controversy? So we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to start with, after seeing at the Tokyo Open this week, Sam Stozer lose very early. I think it was the first or second round match he played. This is now... It's not a, it's not a certainty, but we had Lena after winning the French kind of disappear for a while. Petra Kvitova still hasn't really found her form after winning Wimbledon, and Sam Stowers. I don't think anybody will say with certainty that the U.S. Open has given her this new gravitas of she's this uh, you know, a blue chip player basically. So, Steve, what's with I guess these women uh, making the big run and then kind of disappearing for a while? Does it kind of add to that thought about? Any given two weeks, anybody can win. Yeah, I can't decide whether it's whether it's good for the for the WTA or bad, or whether I like it or not. It's not good for for ratings. Um, we know that Serena Williams just being in, you know, a star like Serena Williams being in the U.S. Open. I think the, the you know the ratings were were way up, and it's and it doesn't help with with a general audience. But I like, on the other hand, I like seeing the stars. They're the sort of second tier players break through and and. You know, created this, this huge surprise. It's just, it's just you don't know what you know what to do, what to think about them going forward if, if they're just going to completely disappear. I guess Kavita is probably the most disappointing because she, she's young. People talked about her as a you know starting a new era when she won Wimbledon, and she completely disappeared after that. And she looks like the type of player who will always have those those ups and downs. You know, that's a, that's what I was going to ask. Is that of of those three names that we mentioned, um, which one? Of those, like long term, do you pre- do you predict to be maybe the you know the most sustaining Grand Slam well, caliber player? I have to say Kavita because she's she's almost ten years younger than than Lee Nan, Sam, Sam Stoser. Those were sort of late career. You know, they might be their only their only wins. I thought both of those players should have won could have won slams much earlier with their games. Um, but you just you sort of wonder if if Kavita is the next star. What what that's going to be, what that's going to be like, and whether we're just going to continue with these, with these kind of one-offs. Well, you got to give her a break, though. Kavita, you know, Kavita is very young. That's like you touched on that when you when you cited the ages of Lena and uh, Sam Stozer. You could see them. I mean, they get to the life accomplishment, you know, and you know they hit their stride. They ought to be playing well. Kavita, you know, you you got to figure she got knocked for a loop. She's very young. She's really very very shy girl from a small town in Czechoslovakia. You know, I, I think that's really a tough thing to bounce back from. And she's really only been one slam since. You know, since since Wimbledon, so I cut her a break. It's the other two are a little bit, you know, discouraging. Lena, particularly, because you know now she's fired her coach again, apparently. And so, like you know, again, though, you understand what happens there. You know, it's so huge when she gets to a final, and then when she wins a major, that it's very hard for her to focus and concentrate. But it's it's kind of a mess. I I, I think it's kind of a mess. I think you need consistent players. When you don't have consistent players, you're just not going to get any traction. It it does kind of throw a wrench into that. Uh... China coming of age narrative for this also, all too. Also, I think the w, maybe the WTA is going to change and is slowly changing, and that there aren't the new winners are going to come from are going to be older players who come from seemingly from the second tier rather than 
the Sharapovas and Serenas who take over when they're 17 or 18. We haven't seen anybody like that for a long time. But it just reinforces the idea that it's all a crapshoot is my problem with it. It's a little bit like, well, you know, if, if every week there's a different winner and there's a 28-year-old pops appear and a 32-year-old there, then a 24-year-old and then they disappear after winning and stuff, you know, what, what does it all add up to? I mean, I think there's a lack of order and structure that really, really hurts the That's tour in the long run. That's true, I think, for for a lot of people and for general fans. But for, I guess looking back for myself at this year, my favorite moments from the year were, were seeing Stoser. It was seeing Stoser win rather than a star like Kim Clijsters. That seemed more mundane to me when she won the Australian. Now, Open. one of the ironies I think about is when you wrote, Pete, back at the French, I be, French or Wimbledon, um, was that the quality of the women's game, I think you said, is rarely been seen higher by you you saw and and yet we're not seeing the type of narrative play out that i think you're looking for is is that correct well it is funny you know that may they may be related because you know there's the women have always had this problem where you the women can't really blow each other off the court that's kind of what it comes down to although that might be changing a little bit now with people serving like serena serving and venus is serving but but up to now so you always had this thing that the big difference was that the dominant players are so much better than everybody else that it imposed a kind of order now if you take if you make if you elevate everybody up to like that dominant player capacity or down to that you know everyday capacity then suddenly you got you that's one of the reasons you yeah, probably have all these crazy results nobody can blow anybody else off so it means that whoever's hot that week tends to win or you know whoever loses their game that week tends to go out early so it's almost like a, two conflicting things you know creating the opposite effect of what you would think that kind of i guess goes into serena a little bit here we're talking about dominant players i think you may be referring to some of the Historically, the down in players, the women's game, it's, it's usually been as top-heavy, I think, as the men's game is right now in a way. Uh, Serena just turned 30 two days ago. Um, what do you guys see coming coming out of her you know, as these in the 30s here, even next year? But you know, does she have... Does she have a long shelf life, you think, still left on the tour? I know, I I know she's she... kind of played by her own rules for a long time, but... What does she want out of tennis after 30, I guess? I think she, um, if she wants to, I think she does. She's, she hasn't been like, like um, Federer. She's, you know, she's sort of taken more breaks from the game, whether they, were, whether they were of her own choice or not. So she's a little bit more like maybe like Agassi where, where um, you know, she, she could maybe last a little longer because she, she hasn't played. She hasn't you know, burned out in a way. She, um, and every time she comes back, she comes back right to the top. She, you know, she, she lost fairly early at Wimbledon, but the U S open was only maybe her fifth or sixth tournament back. And she, she made it to the final. I don't see why she can't continue to do that for a few more years. It's, there's never really been a drop off with her. Physically though, yeah. I think it's going to be hard for her. I mean, because she, look, let's face it. She's a big woman. She's, you know, she's got a lot to move around the court. It's always been astonishing how mobile, she is and how many balls she gets to particularly not even just generally mobile uh you know but and that's just determination i think and just you know this just you know uh, golden retriever like you know i gotta get that ball but you know you know when you get past 30 that all really starts to change and and you really got to be you know you got to look martina navratilova is the model for players playing late into their careers and her big thing was fitness now, I don't know exactly where Serena is with fitness. Maybe she's, you know, in the gym as we speak. I don't know. But I, I tend to think in the past she hasn't done that. She's gone out there and won on her guts, on her athletic ability, her talent. And I think that gets harder as you get older. One thing I would say is she and Venus both lasted much longer than we thought or they thought they were going to last or the way they talked when they first came up. Um, so I think she has 
you know, at least two more, you know, good Dominant years. years. Yeah, right. I've, I've, I've never seen a woman player, a, woman, a great woman player, who ever, who ever didn't say that she'll be out of the game by 25. <laughs> right. And I've never seen one who got out of the game before 30. So. Um, let's shift gears to the men a little bit. Um, and really at this point, I think most of the talk about men's tennis has been very little about the tennis um you know after after what happened at the US Open for for a couple things we have this this sort of uh, a lot of comments made by players about the tour schedule everything like that where that's supposed to go what what's supposed to happen after this comedy of errors of the US Open basically and then right after the open we have um Novak Djokovic go down a Davis Cup um he probably will not be playing anywhere near the amount of tournaments that he was scheduled to play. Federer has already called himself out of Shanghai, and that leaves this sort of Asian swing, really almost this entire fall season in flux. You don't know really what to expect, where to go with it. So um, let's start with the labor part of things here that you're going to be writing on yeah, a little later that, today, um, Steve. That's something that can, it's sort of um, it seems to be losing momentum in a way, but then also Andy Murray and Andy Roddick, sort of the two two bigger players behind it, they They've kept talking about it. They want to have a meeting in Shanghai, which is going to be difficult because, because Roger Federer is not going to be there. The main problem with it is that none of you know the, the main the top players can't really even you know you can't get much agreement across the board as to what people want. The number twenty player in the world doesn't want the same thing that that Nadal wants, but you can't even get much agreement among the very top players. Federer doesn't talk much about the schedule. He just will skip a tournament when he when he feels like skipping it. He's He's eligible to do that now. Um, Nadal wants a much shorter schedule. Uh, Murray wants the schedule changed. Um, and more money. And more money. Uh, you wonder what these, guys, what these guys can do. They've talked about forming their own union. That's probably the only real way if they're really determined to do it. But, but um, it doesn't seem like they're going to have enough people to but really those five guys that. can have their own union. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it would have to be yeah, those five guys small... having their own union. And even they, jo- they would have a lot of power, actually. With that. <laughs> and even Djokovic, he, he also doesn't say a whole lot about the schedule. Um, so, and you know, so they're even among the very top people, it's sort of it's split in half. Right. But now. what I but what I guess just strikes me still talking about this topic is that this U.S. Open seemed to be, there seemed to be at least a consensus, not not just amongst the players who were involved in that one meeting with earlier and whatever and were talking about it, but it seemed to be amongst even media types here that this was this was more than definitely what what we've seen in the past mm-hmm. from players. It's kind of just empty promises, empty threats, really, from that point. But, but there was a lot more coming out of this. Do you see anything really materializing of this, Pete? Been around that you've seen what happens in the past with this stuff. I don't because I don't see what I don't see what their solution is. I mean, they had the parking lot revolution. It created the, the ATP went from being a players' union to being a partnership between players and tournaments, which was thought to be the model. And you know, what are you going to do? Unmake that and go back and become a players' union? That's going to raise all kinds of unbelievable issues because the tournaments basically are owned by. The weeks are owned by the tournament promoters. You know, they've got contractual obligations. I mean, it's crazy to even get into it, I think. But, you know, and, and there, are, so there are some very bizarre things here. I mean, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and uh, Novak Djokovic are all on the ATP board. So these are the guys complaining about this. So let's take it up at the ATP board meeting. You've got a partnership with the tournament. Take it up with them. You know, the big, the big, diff- the big problem here, I think, is that the Grand Slams and the, and the ATP Tour are two separate entities. The Grand Slams do not have to 
you know, a march in lockstep with the ATP tour and their and their rules and regulations necessarily. And that's going to be that would be a very very hard thing to change because the ATP is not going to accept the authority of the of the ITF and vice versa. That's the split that's always been there, and they've never been able to to overcome that. That's been there since sixty eight seventy three, yeah. and nobody's figured out a way to to um to end that big split in the middle you know middle of the game really and they had to strike at Wimbledon you know you remember and 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 they didn't you know that didn't really it didn't solve anything one way or another the fact is Wimbledon's going to go on there's going to be a Wimbledon and there are going to be x number of players who are going to say you know heck with it I'm playing Wimbledon this is I'm a tennis player I'm here to play Wimbledon I'm not here to get into all kinds of labor deals so right yeah the uh the tournament tournament week slash directors that you bring up that would be I think uh we we say most squeeze if there was actually any reform might be these these later season tournaments like we're seeing right now, um, but you know Shanghai we're talking about that, Federer's out of that, Djokovic I think you can expect to see out of that. Uh, this uh, this might not be too masterful this this tournament here, uh, but let's talk about just in, just this Asian swing here because since we since we're in the here and now of it. Um, and is there any kind of excitement about this at all? I mean, last year we had kind of some developments, I think, that happened that were very... Um, I think it will depend if... I mean, once you get to a Masters, there is, I think there's more excitement than you, than you might think right now once you get to Shanghai. Part of it will depend on whether Djokovic can make it there. It doesn't sound like he's sort of on the fence. Uh, we know Nadal will be there. We know Federer won't be there. Um, without Federer and Djokovic, then it really becomes a kind of a second-tier... A second Masters event, um, but we'll see. Rafa's going to be in in Tokyo, um, so it'll start then. There's very little. There's very little. Last year there was a lot sort of on the table because Djokovic was coming on really strong again. Nadal just had won his third Slam, one of the one of the greatest seasons ever. Federer was working overtime to keep his place in the game. Federer played everything last year. If you look at the Asian circuit, I mean, pretty much in terms of what made sense, and and he did well. Uh, he has twenty. I think it was twenty-one and one after the U.S. Open. It was twenty-one and two. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, he he had a great he had a great finish. You remember, even at the ATP Championship, Steve. He uh, he. Everyone was saying he's back, but you know, this year it's totally. I mean, it's amazing how different. Federer is gone. He's not playing anything. And Djokovic, you know, Nadal has cut back from three tournaments to two, and Djokovic is up in the air because of his back. It just has really taken wind out of the Asian circuit sales. I, I do have a feeling that I think Steve, something you tend to allude to is that no matter how these tournaments seem to stretch on amongst this continuum of the year. It's that once you boil down a tournament to it's the only game in town that week, and especially these Masters events, it always seems to cook up something worth following. Like last year, I don't think anybody had any expectations for the Paris Masters, mm-hmm. for example, and that turned out to be probably one of the best Yeah, it's one of year. those situations. I personally would like to see the schedule be shorter, like a couple months shorter, but then again, when I when – when a tournament like Paris has two amazing semis like it did last year, you're like, you know, why would you want to shorten the season when you when these things can that still was, happen? There was the Monfils Federer one, um, match points exchanged, and then Lodra. Lodra, Lodra well, here's a question, though. Look, I mean, the players get a month off after the Australian Open, basically, and they get a month off after, after, after Wimbledon. So we're going to give them two more months off. So we're going to have an eight-month season. We're going to have four months off. In, well, it, in in effect, I mean, you know, they're they're still going to work out anyway. Every athlete, these every pro athlete these days, there is no off season. Nobody sits at home watching TV for a couple of weeks or months. Everybody's still keeping fit. And that's how it's supposed to be, I think. Ideally, to me, you wouldn't have the breaks. You would have a defined season, shorter without the without the months off. That's that's obviously not going to happen in any time soon. 
But that would be the that would be to me as a fan the way to do it. But then, how would you feel? Do you think Federer will actually play from Wimbledon immediately? Keep playing through up to through the U.S. Open series because, you know, right now what you've got is these guys are taking a month off essentially. I mean, Federer's in now in the fall too, and and after Wimbledon, Djokovic didn't play. You know, he won Wimbledon. Next time he played, I guess in Montreal was a month later. So well, next year they'll be they'll be right back at it at the you Olympics. Know, yes, that's right. That's right. correct. And yeah. hallelujah, let him complain about the calendar. That. <laughs> yeah, that, make that's, him play. That... Get him out there and play. That's like the only thing actually players want to play. Everybody talks about what they want to do, play to the Olympics and retire, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's a debate that's going to go on and not going to end anytime soon. Thanks to Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan, Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 